chapter 4. If not, uh, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you don't want to simply listen to the Word of God, you can do that. Uh, we're going to be reading Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, a very familiar story, I'm sure, to all of us. Starting verse 35, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Jesus to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were there with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they said, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea. Hushy, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, I have to admit if I was in that boat, I would have probably woken you up too and been scared and afraid and and untrusting and unfaithful. Um, The world around us, our senses pulls at us to not see you, to not have faith, to not live by faith, to trust our eyes and our senses and not trust the Spirit that's living in us and trust your Word. I just pray that as Steve shares this morning and you speak through him, that you would remind us that we need to be mature, not little children afraid but mature Christians who are trusting in their Father, obedient, knowing that He's in charge, that you are the God of the universe, that we're in your hand, and that everything that comes our way is your design. We need to simply trust and obey, to have faith and depend on you and your strength to help us respond correctly in faith and trust and obedience. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you on this Lord's Day, this Sunday morning. Indeed, the Lord blesses us by bringing us together. I think of three phrases that describe our time together, worshiping the Lord and the teaching of the truth and fellowshipping with one another. This really should be one of our favorite times, if not our favorite time of the week, because to worship the Lord and to hear the truth and to be with one another and loving each other is, is one of the best things there is. So I'm glad that you could be with us today. Steve, in his prayer, mentioned the word maturity, and part of my purpose for these times, we're doing a four-week series here, is, is to help you be more mature, because that's what God wants for all of us, the ones who are growing in Him. They're also, what I would say, is a diagnostic tool. You all know you go to the doctor, if you go to the doctor, and you go there, and the, the nurse is there, and, and they'll do your blood pressure, they'll do your heart rate, they'll do your temperature. You, I think you've all been there and done that, and they just want to see how you're doing. They have their little tools how to diagnose your physical condition. What God wants for each of us as Christians is to be able to self-diagnose how we are doing. A mature Christian can do that. Immature Christians can't. We need to help them. But as mature Christians, 
God wants us to know how we're doing, and that's one of the purposes for this time here. We're looking at 12 different subjects in, in, in the last couple of weeks and the weeks ahead here um, in terms of what does God want us to be like. And God's Word tells us exactly how He wants us to live, exactly what we are to do. So we're taking these four weeks to talk about 12 different character qualities. Last week we talked about knowing and loving God, knowing and believing God's truth, and living a holy life. And today we're going to be talking about walking in the Spirit, being humble, and having faith. And, and I will admit, each of these subjects here I could take a whole week on, really a whole month on. There's a lot here. So really just doing an overview, but just encourage you just to listen. And there's also the notes back there at the back, and also listen online later. First, there's walking in the Spirit. Let's look at some verses that talk about this. Turn in your Bible to John 14, 16 to 17. Jesus was leaving the disciples soon after this. This is the night before he was crucified on the cross. He was given his instructions to the disciples. And a lot is said in these chapters here, this Thursday night message uh, about the Holy Spirit. We read in John 14, 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Then go to verse 26. It says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So we read here about the Holy Spirit. God gives the Holy Spirit. Here he's called the helper. Some of other versions that might, be, might read comforter or counselor. I like the word helper because it's more general. It's a very general word, help, help. Uh, the Greek uh, word from which the word helper is translated is paraclete, which means called alongside. And so the way I think about it is the Holy Spirit is called alongside to help us in whatever need that we have, in whatever area of life. He is to help us, the helper. A great, a great word there for who he is and what he does. It's called the spirit of truth. And so everything that's a spirit does relates to God's truth. As I just said before, we saw from verse 26, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who teaches you the truth. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, there's a lot said here about the Spirit as well. There's really probably three sections I think about in the Bible. In fact, I'll say this before I continue on here. I was reading the other day in Romans 8, and Romans 8 Verses 1 through 27, the word spirit or Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times. So the most concentrated section of verses is there. And I'm not really even covering that today. I thought maybe some other time I will. But you can read that uh, some other later time. Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 1 to uh, 27 there. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's a black and white verse, isn't it? I like black and white verses. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. God commands us, this is a command, to live our daily lives by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot live in the way that God wants by your own leading, by your own power. You just can't do it. As a Christian, you need the power of the Spirit every day and all day long. Walk by the Spirit. Not just once in a while, but all the time. That's what God wants for you. 
oftentimes we aren't doing what God wants. That's because we're not looking to the Spirit. We're not depending on the Spirit. I want you to turn back to Mark, and um, there's no doubt that Jesus' life was, was daily influenced by the Spirit. And we, we see how things start here, start of his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descended upon him and a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and is with the wild angels and wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. But the Spirit was there, too. Indeed, Jesus was the one who was led by the Spirit during his life here on this earth. Back to Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. 16 again, But I say, walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so we struggle with this sinful flesh. This is true. This is a truth. We all understand this here as people in this room. And, and, and the only way... To get victory over the flesh is by the Spirit. That's the only way. And, and as you know, you're all tempted to sin, you know, whether it's pride or fear or anger, impurity or laziness, any number of things. And it's only by the, the Spirit giving you the desire and the power then that you can get victory over sin. That's, that's what we're seeing in these verses here. Psalm 143.10 says, Prayer, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We talk about being led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. So we need to pray it. And that's what this is right here, a prayer that, that we want God's Spirit to lead us and help us in the ways that he wants us to go. Galatians 5, 22, verses 19 to 21 is a list of, I don't know, 15, 18 different sins, whatever there, but there's a lot of sins. I'm going to go jump ahead to 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 23, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. So we see here that, that, that God wants us to be ones who are, you see from these verses, not doing what is wrong, but doing what is right. The Christian life is not just a matter of not doing what is wrong. It's not just a matter of doing what's right. It's not doing what's wrong and doing what's right. And verses 19 to 21 identify all these sins. There's other lists of sins, too, given to in the Bible. But it's the Spirit that helps us not to do what is wrong. And then we see in verse 22 the Spirit that helps us to be doing what is right. That is to be filled with the Spirit, to have this love and joy and peace and patience. In fact, I'll, I'll make this comment now. Some of you um, have heard about this Asbury revival up in, up in Asbury University. And so my question is, is it a real revival or not? And I'm in some ways really encouraged. These students since, since the 8th of February have been gathering together all day long into the night and singing and praying, and it's, it's, it seems very good. But if you do a study of revivals, you never know the result of revival till who knows, months or years later, what, what was really going on. So I heard a couple of people, I was watching just a short clip this morning, just have to turn on the right time, 
two young ladies were being interviewed about what was going on, and they mentioned the words love, there's love and joy, and there's peace, and there's hope and unity. I said, well, that's really good. And they talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit. But there's no mention of Christ. And the Spirit testifies about Christ. That's one of his primary purposes. So that gave me a little pause. Nothing about Christ, nothing about people repenting of their sins and being turned to Christ and being saved. So it may be good. And I would say this. I'm praying every day for this what's going on up there, and maybe spread another room for university campuses. But, but the Spirit is one who, yes, gives us the fruit of the Spirit, but also, and, and, and maybe primarily so, is one who testifies about the person of Jesus Christ and, and his work. We, in fact, we just went to this Bible study last Wednesday night. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So if there's a true revival, that's what's going on there. He's convicting people of their sin and, and turning them to Christ. That's what he's doing. Do pray. Pray that God would do a, a, wonderful, a wonderful work there. And so to live the Christian life, you need to walk by the Spirit. You need to live your life daily by the power of the Spirit, by the truth of the Spirit, and by the leading of the Spirit. That's what God wants for you. Turn now to Ephesians 6, 10. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me clarify. Galatians chapter 5 just says we struggle against the flesh. That's talking about our sinful flesh, our human flesh that wants to sin. This is talking about things we see. Sometimes we struggle with people. We have conflict with people. We're not talking about that kind of struggle. We're talking about the struggle with our flesh and the struggle with the devil. But this is important to see. Because what we're seeing here is we struggle against the flesh, that sinful flesh, and we also struggle against the devil. And it's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the victory over those struggles that we have. We see in verse 14, it says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We just talked before about the spirit is the spirit of truth. He is the one that teaches you the truth. He is the one that does that force. We see here in verse verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Very, very important verse here. And so we see that the spirit has a sword. And this sword is the word of God. This sword is the truth of God. And the spirit defeats the devil by the sword, by the word of God. That's it. Spirit defeats the devil by God's word. And being filled, this is important to understand, being filled with God's word is the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you can defeat the devil who fights against you. Important to understand that. Being filled with God's word is the key then to being filled with, this, with the spirit and therefore then winning the struggle against the devil. Back to Ephesians verse, chapter 5, look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things. You know, it's, it's interesting because we says here about singing. To, to properly sing, even here in our worship time, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Not just get matter of just getting up there and getting your voice going. It's from the heart. That's what God wants. And the Spirit is the one indeed that can empower us to sing in the way that we're to sing. 
But again, I want to say you have to be filled with God's Word to be filled with the Spirit. So, so for you then, you think about this practically, what do you need to do? You need to, to take it upon yourself. I'm going to get God's Word in me. I'm going to read God's Word. I'm going to pray over God's Word. I'm going to think about God's Word. I'm going to meditate on God's Word. I'm going to listen to, to audio tapes that just have the Word of God. It's just the Bible being, I'm going to listen to the Word. I want the Word of God in me because then the Spirit who is in you has the sword, has the weapon to fight in the way that God wants to fight with you and for you through his Holy Spirit. Back to Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Another key verse about prayer, and I would be praying at all times and be praying for one another. One major key to praying is the Spirit. The Spirit, then, is to lead you and empower you in prayer. You can only really pray rightly and effectively, then, by the Spirit. So we're to pray in the Spirit. That's what it says there. But I want you to turn to Romans 8, and I believe you, many of you know these verses here, because it's what it says. It's, it's intriguing, and it's encouraging, very encouraging. Romans 8, 26 In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. So we're supposed to pray, but here it says we don't know how to pray rightly. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Wonderful truth. We read a little later on in Romans 8 about Jesus himself interceding for us, and here we see that the Spirit intercedes for you as well. I mean, we, we should be greatly encouraged by these truths. You're not here alone. You might have friends, but boy, you've got Jesus himself, you've got the Holy Spirit, and they're interceding for you. That indeed is what they are doing. One more verse here on the Spirit. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I think you probably know this verse, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So important. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an it. He's a person. And God wants you to have a relationship with him. My wife told me the other day, she says, when I get in the morning, I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Son. Good morning, Spirit. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Maybe I should do that. You know, that's how she gets up in the morning. Morning, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a person. And so it's important then to remember that the Spirit is in you. And, and you're to love the Spirit. You're to talk to the Spirit. You're to pray to the Spirit. You're to pour out your heart to the Spirit. You are to have fellowship with the Spirit. That is what God wants for you. Now let's talk about humility. God wants you to be one who is loving, holy, faithful, compassionate, many other things. And being humble relates to all of these. Being humble, I believe, is one of the most important character qualities that you as a Christian need. Important, then, for being the person that God wants, this, this being humility. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, The man Moses was humble more than any man on the face of the earth. But he had to be, to, to, to lead two million Jews across the desert during that 40-year period of time. He was the most humble person on the earth at that time. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you're in Ephesians there, you turn a page to the right. 
Ephesians chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 4, do not merely look out after your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the most humble man that this world has ever seen, without a doubt. To go from God to be a man, to be really in one hand the lowest man on earth, doing what he did for us, he indeed was one who was humble. The word humble, by definition, means low-lying or lowliness of mind. And this is how I see it. Now think, just think with me. It means seeing who you are in relationship to God. It means seeing who you are in relationship to God. It means that you see that God is God and that you're just but a man, you're just but a woman, and compared to God, you're lowly. And therefore, you're to be lowly of mind. And you're to think of yourself as lowly. That's the mindset that God wants us to have as Christians, to think that way. It means seeing that God is great and holy and powerful and omniscient, and you're not great. You're not holy. I mean, practically so. Righteously so, we're holy in God's sight, but practically. You're not so strong. You don't know everything. You don't. And therefore, therefore, compared to God, you are lowly. That's how God wants you to see yourself. You need to see that you're small compared to God and then be humbled. Isaiah chapter 40, we're not going to go there, but the last half of that chapter, and if you've read it, you'll know what I'm saying. I'll mention a couple of verses here. It's probably one of the best chapters in the Bible to get a picture of God and who you are. One verse says this. It says, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. So here's this United States. It used to be called great, maybe not greatest, so great as it used to be, but it's a great country, right? It's a drop in the bucket. Then it goes on to say, inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers, grasshoppers, or ants, or whatever you're going to say. You know, we're just little ants. We're down this earth, and God is great. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful chapter about the greatness and the glory of God, and it should be that which humbles you. Being humble means seeing that God is your creator, and you're just a creation. It means seeing that God is sovereign, and that you're not sovereign. You can't do whatever you want. That verse, I love that verse, man plants his ways, and bottom line, the Lord directs your steps. You can't do whatever you want. Read Daniel 4.35, one of my favorite verses. I just finished Daniel 4 on Nebuchadnezzar being humbled by God. It's because he was proud that God humbled him. But what a great chapter about God's sovereignty. And man is not. It's seeing that God is your father and that you are his child. Being humble means that you see that that, that God is your master and you're but a servant. It means that you're seeing that Jesus Christ is a savior and that you were a sinner now by grace you've been saved. That's what it means. All these things are important. A lot of people think they're important. They think more highly of themselves than they ought. And maybe because of their intelligence or their IQ, they, they're smart and they know they're smart. It may be because of the job they have. It may be because of the money they have. Or, man, I got a nice car or nice clothes. Or look at all these friends that I have. Any number of reasons that we can think of ourselves as being more important. John 3.27, John the Baptist talking, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from God. That's powerful. 
Everything you have that's good is from God. Everything. It says, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? God wants us to be ones who are humble. Unbelievers look at things from a worldly perspective and don't see things from God's perspective, don't see things according to his word. And only when a Christian, only when a person becomes a Christian can he then be truly humble. Can he then be truly lowly and truly grow and be all that God wants him to be? And let me also say be truly great. Some people say, well, I don't want to be great. This verse here, Matthew 18, 6. Whoever humbles himself like a little child is great in the kingdom of heaven. God wants you to be great in heaven. You say, no, 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 I don't want that. No, God wants you to be great. So humble, be humble here. God wants you to be great, and it's by being humble on earth. That's what it is. So don't diminish this truth. Don't think, oh, I don't want to be great in heaven. If you're great in heaven, it's because God did it. It's because you're humble on earth and God did it all. That's what it is. And again, you'll be serving and worshiping him. But I, I love this truth. This is what God has for you. Exodus chapter 3 talks about the humility of Moses. Joshua chapter 5 talks about the humility of Joshua. Luke chapter 1, 46 to 52, is Mary's song. And this is what she said. She said, God has had regard for the humble state of his servant. Mary was humble, and she knew it. I've heard somebody say, well, no, if you know you're humble, then you're not humble, you're proud. No, you can know if you're humble. Come on. You can know if you're humble. She knew she was humble. She wasn't going around talking about how she was, but she was humble in her heart. She had difficulties in her life. We don't know all there were. She was a young girl, but she had difficulties and struggles, I'm sure. God has had regard for the humble state of his servant. She was humble, and she knew it, and that's perfectly fine. And God then blessed her, one reason, because she was one who was humble. Being humble, then, has an amazing and profound effect on your life. Let me mention a few different areas. First, your relationship with God himself. When you're truly humble, then you'll worship God. You will praise and exalt him because you see that he is your Lord, your Savior, and your King. And you'll learn from God, for he's your teacher. And you want to learn from him, and you do learn from him. Proud people don't want to learn from God and won't learn from God. Next, you'll serve God. You'll be a servant of God. You'll carry out the purpose and work of God. These are all major areas, and I'm going so quickly here. You'll worship God. You'll learn from God. You'll serve God. Hebrews 3, 5 talks about Moses. We mentioned before he was the most humble man. It says, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. That is, Moses did what God wanted him to do. And that's important for us to think. Could, we, could you say that? Can I say that? I'm being faithful in all that God wants me to do. It takes humility. It's, it takes God's grace. That's, that's what we're talking about. Next, being humble means you obey God. See, he's your Lord, your master, the one who tells you what to do, and you do it. Proud people can't obey God. Unbelievers can't obey God. They don't want to obey God. And, and they don't understand that if they just do what they want, there's going to be consequences. There will be consequences. And you see, you see this all the time. I mean, I, 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 I'm following the news every day, and I see a lot of difficult things. And what really helps me is to know that God is sovereign. And God, if people are evil and stay evil, God will take care of them. God will take care of them. So I, that helps me. If you're humble, you confess your sins to God. You're convicted. You admit that God is right and that, that you are wrong. 
If you're humble, you pray to God, for you know that you're needy. You need God's help, and you believe it, and you pray that he's going to help you, that he's going to come for you. But proud people don't pray. They don't think they need to pray. Not at all, but they do. And so all these things. So we're talking first, humility, how it affects your relationship with the Lord. Secondly, it affects your relationships with people. You understand that others are more important than yourselves. That's how you're to live your life. That's what Philippians chapter 2 said. And we don't like that maybe sometimes, but that's the truth. You need to think of others as being more important than yourself. You're humble like Jesus. You think about the interest of others. That is, you're thinking about others. You're going through life not just thinking about yourself and what you want to do and your problem. You're thinking about others. You're actively, daily thinking about the interests and needs of other people. You think, and then you help. Okay, it's not just in your head, it's in your heart, it's in your actions. You help, you serve, and you pray. Humble person will pray for other people. That's what it'll do. One, one, one good example of humility, I'm not going to go back there. First Samuel 25 is a great chapter to read, but Abigail, it's the story of Abigail, and she was humble, and she was a servant. And David was in need. His men were in need, and she came, and she helped out, and she had some wherewithal, and she got some food for him, but she was very much of a humble. She says, you know, I'm your servant. That's how she saw herself. Next, you love others. If you're not humble, you think about yourself more than others. You think about yourself like you ought not to think about yourself. Proud people don't love others, and they can't love others. They can't. They, they, they're, they're ones who are selfish and get angry and jealous and malicious and kind, all these different things. But for you to be loving... For you to be kind to people, and patient, and forgiving, gentle, all aspects of God's love, and the love God wants you to have, you've got to be humble. It's a key to every one of those. And if you're having a hard time loving people, it could be because you're not humble. That's, that's what I'm saying here. So important. Humble people have good relationships. And I'll give you this example with marriage. The only way for there to be a good marriage is for the people in the marriage, the husband and wife, to be humble, okay? Three scenarios here, three scenarios. If there's not humility in both husband and wife, that's going to be a really, really rough marriage. If there's no humility, it's going to be really rough, really rough. And they may not make it, they may divorce, okay? Second scenario, if one of the, one of the partners is humble and the others is not, the marriage can make it, but with some difficulty, with some struggles, and the third scenario, and I'm talking, I'm talking generally, of course, third scenario, of course, is if both are humble. There's blessing and success, and God used the couple. That's what he wants, humility. And, of course, I'm not going there, but Ephesians 5, 21, which is right before that section on that great section of marriage, 22 to 31, is about how you need to be humble. And so humility is that which precedes a solid marriage, and humility is needed in both the husband and wife. But here we're talking about all relationships. All relationships, there needs to be humility. And if you're humble, then you'll serve others. You'll help others. You'll give your time to others. You'll pray for others. And you'll be a team player. You all know the definition of a team player, whether it's a basketball team or football. You're not just hogging the ball. You know, you're not just doing your own thing. You're working as a team. And you won't be a know-it-all. In your relationships, in your conversations, your discussions, you'll be listening to others and learning from others. This is very important. A humble person is one who learns from others. 
That's what he does. And God, of course, in his fatherly and wise way, helps us to grow in humility. That's one of his desires with you. And, and if you think about your life, you go back over, you'll be thinking about different things that have happened. Yep, God's trying to help me be one who is humble. That's what he's doing. He does that, first of all, by giving us his word. His word helps us to see who God is. And you need to know who God is then if, if you're really going to trust him. God's word will humble and motivate you. I just mentioned Isaiah 40. You read that, and that should have a humbling effect in your heart and help you then to worship and obey him. God also humbles us by giving us authority figures, parents, employers, government, leaders, pastors, and we're to be humble before them and submit to them. This is very important, these authority figures. You all have authority figures, okay? And God wants you to be humble before them. He, gives it, he does it also how? Does he humble us by giving us trials, by giving us difficult situations? God gives these trials to us so we, can, so we see that we can't make it on our own. Can't make it through this difficulty on our own. Says, hey, this is too much for you. All of you had trials, little trials, medium sized, big, y'all had trials. It's sort of like God is putting you in your place, if I can say it that way. That you just he's just a person. You're just a human. You, you, you can't make this life. You can't be and do all that you want by just yourself. You need me. And so God gives you trials. That's what he does. James 4.10. Very important verse, verse for you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. A command. I saw that one command, walk in the Spirit. Here you're to humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. It's between you, Lord. Humility is between you and God, and he will exalt you. That's what he wants. And how has this happened? We've said it already, but I'll say it again just to sum it up. You humble yourself when you praise God, when you worship God, when you exalt him. You humble yourself when you pray to God, when you say, God, I need your help. You humble yourself when you confess your sin. You say, God, you're right, and I am wrong. You humble yourself when you learn from God, and you humble yourself when you help and serve others. So there's all these ways. But, but the thing is, this is, this, this is a super practical point that you take this week and run with it. This week, humble yourself in the presence of God every day. Every day, God, I'm going to humble myself in your presence, whether it's in a trial, whether it's in a relationship, whether, whatever it might be. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. Third area I want to talk about today is having faith. Having faith is essential for salvation and for our entire life. Galatians chapter 2, 8 says we are saved by faith. 2 Corinthians 5 says we are to walk by faith, that is, we are to live the Christian life by faith. What is faith? Well, first I need to say this. It means you're having faith in God. We're not talking about faith in a person. We're talking about trusting in God. We're talking about depending in God, relying on God, believing in him. That's what we're saying. It's you and your relationship with God, where you're talking to God. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And, and, and sometimes that's hard because things are difficult, and it's hard to trust, but that's what it comes down to. Lord, I'm going to depend on you here, Lord, that you're going to come through for me. That is, you know you need God. And you trust him, you depend on him to help you, to lead you, to give you the grace, the wisdom, the peace that you need to make it through life. Having faith then is the means of connecting with God, of having this relationship with God. 
and then being able to live in the way that God wants you to live. Turn to Jeremiah 17. I, I love these verses on faith. Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8. 17, verse 5, Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Pretty strong, isn't it? But it's right. It makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. We don't trust, we trust in men, we trust in things of the world, we trust in ourselves, we're turning away from God. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when, and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. And so, if you don't have faith, you'd be cursed. That is, you won't be blessed. Blessing is gained by having faith in the Lord. Turn to Proverbs 28. A few more verses on faith here. Proverbs 28, verse 25. 28.25, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Chapter 29, verse 25. 29.25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Again, the importance of faith, that's what God wants for us. John eleven forty says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'll see the glory of God? Our ultimate goal is for God to be glorified. And that verse and others will say that it's by having faith, by trusting God. Hebrews eleven six: without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Tying in there the thought of prayer and faith, that is that is true prayer, and sometimes, I'll admit it, sometimes I'm praying, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I'm really believing. You know, I'm just sort of saying words. Am I believing God? Am I talking to God and believing him as I'm praying, as I'm supplicating, petitioning, whatever it might be? So important, this faith. Hebrews 11, you guys heard that chapter, is a chapter of faith. The word faith is mentioned 25 different times in Hebrews 11. So that's the main message, right? We understand that faith is central, it's essential, it's, it's the key to living the Christian life, being a godly, successful Christian. In fact, I would say, I'm talking about keys, y'all know what a key is, y'all have keys, you open the door to the keys. Humility, faith, the Holy Spirit, they're all keys. They're all keys. Just like you go today, I assume you lock your door before you left. If you don't have that key, you're not getting in. If you don't have the keys I'm talking about today, you're not going to live the Christian life the way God wants it's very, very basic is what we're saying here. Now, Jesus tried to help his disciples grow in faith, and he, of course, tries to help us grow in faith. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, just a few brief examples of this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. It says here, if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Chapter 8, verse 10. 
When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. 8.26 He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and became perfectly calm. And there's other verses. Jesus, in the Gospels, he talked about people who had great faith. He talked about people who had little faith. And he also talked with people who had no faith. I didn't read any examples here, but no faith. And so, as a Christian, you've got at least little faith. If you had no faith, you wouldn't be saved, okay? But if you're a Christian, you've got at least little faith. And what God wants for all of us here is what? To have great faith. And I sometimes think, man, I'm just not trusting God. God, help me. There's a great prayer, Mark 9, 24. There's a person and he had had his son just get healed. He said, he said to Jesus, I, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's a great prayer. And so, so ask God to help you to be one who is great in faith. And he will. And sometimes, you know, what will happen? He, he says, well, I'm not going to pray then. He'll, if you pray that, then some kind of difficulty comes up where you have to trust him. But that's fine. God wants us to grow. He wants us to trust him. That's what he wants us to do. He wants each one of us here to be ones who are great in faith. And Paul, of course, when he talked about the believers, again, there's so much on here in faith. In the beginning of many of the epistles, he would talk about their faith. And he said, this is Colossians 1. He said, um, we heard of your faith. We heard of your faith. And, and this is important. If you're talking to another believer, you know, and you're getting with them, or seeing how they're doing, one thing you want to know is, and you might even ask is, how's your faith doing? How's your faith? How's your faith today? How's your faith this week? Because that's important, and you see that with Jesus. You see Paul, you go to First Thessalonians 2 and 3, I think it is. He talks a lot about the believers. He's really concerned because they're going through difficulties and trials and tribulations, and he's concerned that their faith was being weak, and, but then he heard it was strong. He was very encouraged. He wrote back in that epistle there. And so God wants us to be ones who are strong in faith. He wants us to help others be strong in faith as well. God then commands us to have faith. He commands. And that's because it's essential for our salvation, of course, but also for our daily lives. He, you know this verse here, very familiar verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. It's a command. This one here, this one is in Mark eleven twenty two, says, have faith in God. A simple command. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to say, hey, look to me. Trust me. That's, that's what he wants. Having faith in that is necessary to do God's work. It's necessary for your relationships. It's necessary if you pray. It's necessary if you're going through trials. So important. James 1, you know this verse. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. One of the key reasons that God gives you trials is it's a test of your faith. You're being tested. And why? So that you trust him and you grow in endurance. That's, that's what's being said there. And what's the key to having faith? Turn to Romans 10. This is similar to another point I made earlier, Romans chapter 10. Romans Chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring 
good news of good things. So the whole point here is that we need God's Word to have faith. We talked before about how you need God's Word to be filled with the Spirit. So too with faith. Having faith is really predicated then by having God's Word in you. For your faith to grow, you need God's Word. It's the basis of your faith. That's what it is. It tells you all about God. And you need to know about God if you're going to trust Him, right? These verse, I said this verse, I love this verse. Psalm 910. Those who Know your name will put their trust in thee. That's why I always encourage people to read books on God's attributes. Because a book on God's attributes is all about who God is. And the more you know who God is, the more you can trust him. You want your faith to grow. Those who know your name will put their trust in thee. God's word then tells you what to do. It's only by faith that you can do what he wants you to do. Again, faith means we are connecting with God means we have this relationship with God. It means we are talking with God. It means we are gaining then the power to do and be what God wants for our lives. As a Christian, you can't go by your feelings. You can't go by your feelings. I mean, there are feelings. That's one thing that one of the, one of the ladies in this interview this morning said, this young lady, oh, man, we just feel so great. We feel, it's a lot about feelings. We feel the presence of the Spirit, and that's fine. I believe all of us as Christians at times have mountaintop experiences, but it's not the norm. Most of my life is not, hey, I'm all excited, man. What a, I feel, it's not like that. Okay. And you know this. A mature Christian learns to walk by faith, to trust God's word in his heart. That's what he is to do. Second Corinthians 5 says you're not to walk by faith. You're to walk by faith, but not by sight. And again, the key to faith then is God's word. Read God's word. You'll be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with faith. And you'll be humble too. So today, talk about three things. Very important. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God has spoken to you about. But I would definitely take time to review whether it's humility, whether it's faith, or whether it's the Holy Spirit. So important. These are just basics for our lives. And I said before, to help you to grow but also to help you diagnose your own life. But also, as a Christian, you're with others. Others are going through struggles. And if you're a mature Christian, and you talk to them a little bit or enough, you'll find out, yeah, I know why they're having problems. And you'll diagnose it because you know these things. It may be a lack of faith, maybe a lack of humility, a lack of walking in the Spirit, the things we talked about last week, not being in God's Word or loving God or not living a holy life. So all these things are important. So I'd, I'm just going to pray. We all need to be praying for one another in this, that God would indeed help us. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. What a great Father we have, that you're our Father. You gave us your Son, the Lord Jesus. You gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in us and can enable us to be and do all that, that you want. And we Lord, to be ones then who are humble to see who we really are in a relationship to you and then have faith just to trust you no matter what, to walk by faith, not by how we feel. It is so easy. We live in a culture, and of course, all of history, I'm sure, has been like this, but we live in a culture and, and, and people by how they feel. Help us, Lord, to trust you. And God, might you work in our hearts, each one of us here. Might you work individually in our families and collectively, Lord. Thank you for guests that are here today. Pray you help each of them. Wherever they're at, the, their, their lives, Lord. Some people are hurting. Some people aren't feeling good. Some people have ailments and sickness. Sickness can't even be here today. Some are here today. Pray, God, you help them. 
ones who are hurting in physical ways, give them grace. Lord, just help us as a church again to, to be all that you want, to do the things you want. Pray for Bethel, your blessing on that church as well. But thank you for all these things, God. Help us to be a light. We pray there would be revival in Asbury. There would be a revival among young people. We ask you for that, God. In our lives, too, we ask you for that. In churches all over the country and all over the world. Thank you for Frank and Pam here. Thank you for the ministry in, in Italy. They could be with us and that they are continuing on for you. What, a, what a, an encouragement, Lord, uh, that they continue on, they persevere. And life, we know, has not been easy for them, not a piece of cake, but they keep going because they love you, they trust you, they walk by your spirit, they walk by your word. So ask for your blessing in their lives, their time here, and their blessing in their ministry back in Italy as well. But thank you again, Lord, for this time now. We just want to commit all this to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.